0: Welcome to the LYC Podcast. We are a youth community that believes in loving people and meeting them where they are. Our desire is that through this message, God's love for you is confirmed, your hope in Jesus is renewed, and your faith is awakened. Uh, the title of tonight's message is called Legacy. Legacy, not Legacy. That was really lame. Um, it's gonna be a quick one. I don't have a long. It's it's hitting slow tonight, guys. <laughs> I feel like there's like nobody in this back row section, so it feels like I'm I'm just feels empty t- tonight. It's it's a weird feeling. Um, but we're gonna talk about legacy. Uh, I, in all full disclosure, found out I was preaching four hours ago. Woo, nice. Right? Woo. You're like, oh man. So I I. I prayed and asked the Lord. And believe it or not, God gave me a little bit of an idea on what we should talk about tonight. I have zero notes prepared. I have zero, I think I have, well, I have a title. Um, I have a few points toward the end that we're going to maybe circle around here, but I really just want to talk about the idea of legacy and give us just some context for what the Bible says about it. We are literally going to start in Genesis and make our way to Hebrews. That's a lot. Well, we're not going to go through every page and we're not going to go through every verse, but I'm going to just take chunks of little different stories to pinpoint where legacy comes up in the Bible. Simply put, legacy is something where you realize you're, it, you're part of something bigger than yourself. You're a part of something that has weight and it carries a, a duration past your own life. And it may actually begin before your own life. Legacy is this beautiful, beautiful thing that God has called each and every single one of us to live from, to function through, to think about. And by the end of the night, hopefully, someone say hopefully, <laughs> we're gonna figure that out together. So uh, let me pray and then we'll jump right in. So Jesus, oh Lord, Please help me. (laughs) Help all of us tonight. Uh, Jesus, we thank you that the word is not effective because I'm preaching it. It's effective because you said it's effective. We get to gather in this house because of you, Jesus. We're called sons and daughters because of you, Lord. And so I just thank you for that, God. I pray you soften all of our hearts. I pray that we have fun. I pray that this would not be a stiff weird energy room, but Lord, that we would just have a lot of fun in your presence, in your word, and together tonight. Uh, In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Um, Random thing. has nothing to do with legacy before we get started. Um, I was talking to Kimberly about this as I was driving when I got the text, Matt, you're preaching. I'm like, great. Um, Forgiveness, right? Forgiveness is so profound to me. This has nothing to do with my message. It's a little extra for free. You can just take that home, share it with your neighbor. Forgiveness. You've done something wrong and Jesus is like, hey, because of what I did, I forgive you. Man, I don't know why I was driving here. This, I was driving earlier this morning. I was driving today and the idea that Jesus forgives you was just so heavily on my heart. I don't know if anybody's in the room feeling weight of sin, the weight of condemnation, the weight of a bad decision, or maybe a string of bad decisions <laughs> compounding like I kicked my dog. Oh, I'm so angry. I kicked my dog, kicked my cat. A string of issues that you've been doing. Um, but I just wanted to remind you that Jesus completely forgives you which means he doesn't hold anything against you. And it says once he forgives you, it's completely wiped out of his memory. God can do that. He literally doesn't even remember that you did it because he forgave you for it. So just a fresh reminder. Genesis chapter one, legacy, people. Let's look at Genesis chapter one, verse 26 and 28. It says uh, through 28, then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle and over all the... All the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Anybody know any creeps out there? You know, right? Every creepy, it was a joke. Come on. So like half the people. Yeah, I got a creep. Um, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female and he created them. Then God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over every living thing that moves on the earth. This is the command that God gave to mankind, man and woman, Adam and Eve, everyone who came after them, and there was apparently nobody before them, unless you believe in the gap theory. Look it up. It's very interesting. Um, but but I, I bring this up to talk about a legacy because from day one, God gave us a vision bigger than ourselves. Hey, I'm going to make man in his own image. No, there was no such thing because that didn't make sense. Our legacy begins recognizing you're made in the image and likeness of God. That's your beginning point. That's where you start. You wake up in the morning. I'm a child of God. I'm made in his image. I'm made in his likeness. How I function, how I'm created, who God made me to be is with purpose and intentionality. I am a part of something bigger than myself. And that's it. That's all you get out of Genesis. Everybody, jump to Genesis chapter 33 now. We're going to look at Jacob and Esau. Did you know that there's Abraham, Isaac, and can you finish it for me? Ja- oh, did I say Jacob and Esau? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Is it just, it's just so quiet in here. I can't help this, right? Does it feel quiet in here to you? She's coughing. It's just quiet. What do we do to break this thick awkwardness that's in the room tonight? Are we going to do something? What do we got to do here? What you thinking? No? Jumping jacks? Jumping jacks? Everybody stand up. It's a bummer. Maybe if you started saying something while I'm talking, we wouldn't be doing jumping jacks, people. I'm going to make it easy. Two jumping jacks. Two. One, two. Caleb tried way too hard. It's time to leave, everybody. All right, before you sit down, um, give someone a really hard high five that might hurt. All right, oh man, there's, sit down, sit down, everyone sit down. This is not a good way to start it, not a good way to start it. Fresh reminder, God loves you and he heals, that's important. All right, it's okay if this is quiet, guys, but just give me some bobbleheads, See, yeah, man, that's interesting, just give me something here, thank you, thank you. It's, it's worse for everybody, not just me when you don't talk. It's, it's a group effort here. You're part of a legacy, guys. I need you to pay, pay attention to that. So Genesis chapter 33, we pick up on the story of Jacob and Esau, two brothers who really had a tough time living with each other. I don't know if you have any siblings. I do. Trust me. I know the dynamics of living with people you're fighting with. So long story short, Jacob stole Esau's blessing. Esau was in the field being a man. He was big and hairy, like a Chewbacca-like creature. And he was getting real tired. He was hunting, just being a man, maybe growling. Just He's a man. He comes in from being a man on the streets. Shaw's just like, that's me. Um, he came in from being a man. And his brother, Jacob was in the kitchen doing his thing. He's a little bit more domesticated. Um, He's cooking some soup. He's chilling in the kitchen. And Jacob uh, is just cooking and Esau busts in the door. It's like, Jacob, Jacob, please, I'm so tired. Give me some soup. And uh, Jacob's like, give me your birthright and I'll give you some soup. And so Esau did. And Esau was very angry that he, he gave away his birthright for a cup of soup. And you're thinking, is that a real story? Yes. Open up to Genesis 33. It's a real story. Jacob stole Esau's blessing. You know, when a father is born and I'm sorry, when a child is born, the father blesses the firstborn and the secondborn doesn't get as great of a blessing. That's the blessing that Jacob stole from Esau for a cup of soup. So their relationship's on the rocks as it is. Now, there comes a point in Genesis 33 where Jacob was gone for maybe 22 years, didn't see his brother for a long period of time, and was traveling back home to meet him. And then he gets to his brother and he sees him from far away and he runs up to him. He's like, Esau, Esau, I'm so sorry. I stole your blessing. I'm so sorry. And he fell down on the ground and repented for what he had did, what he had done. Now, in the process of this happening, there's a young man named Joseph. That is Jacob's son, his youngest son, the youngest son, the son of Rachel and Jacob. They had uh, Joseph. He was there watching his dad fall down on his knees, crying to his uncle, please forgive me, please forgive me. And then, if you're taking notes, jump over to Genesis 45. Joseph... Anybody know the story of Joseph? He was thrown into a pit. He was sold into slavery, goes to Potiphar's house. Potiphar's house is not good because Potiphar's wife is just a little crazy, a little scandalous, and it goes into a very sticky situation where she's like, hey, uh, you're hot, I'm hot. And then it's like, uh-oh, you know what I'm tracking with? It's like, time to go. She tries to get him, and he, he runs away, and he, she actually rips off his clothes, so he runs naked through a field out of there. The Bible's interesting. Read your Bibles. And, and there comes this moment where Joseph finds himself in prison. He gets from prison, and he gets in front of Pharaoh, the guy over all of Egypt. And Egypt was the number one nation in the land at the time. And he becomes the second in command over all of Egypt because his brothers threw him into slavery. Pretty cool story, right? Joseph's brothers come. There's a famine in the land. They don't have any food. Joseph's in control. He has a ton of food. They come and they're begging, please, could could you spare us some food? And they don't realize it's his brother. They don't realize it's Joseph sitting up there. And Joseph recognizes them, but Joseph has mercy on them and doesn't attack them. And I wonder if Joseph knew not to attack them, but to reconcile, but to make things right with them because he watched his dad do it with his uncle years before. He watched his dad repent and ask for forgiveness. And he was able to do it also because he's living in a sense of legacy. You're carrying something greater than yourself. 1 Samuel chapter 3. We see. Uh, you could take the title off the screen for me. If you want to jump to scripture that I put in there, that'd be delicious. First Samuel chapter three is one of the most profound scriptures in all of the Bible. Hannah. Anybody know Hannah in the room? Anybody? Hannah. 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 You're, oh, I know Hannah too. that <laughs> Hannah. So Hannah is this woman who can't have children not fun. I'm sure that would be quite a bummer. All of you are here. So your parents clearly did something right. So she couldn't have a baby and she was praying and asking God, please, please give me a baby. And she was weeping and crying. And then all of a sudden God came to her and said, hey, Hannah, you don't have to cry anymore. I'm going to give you a son. And she said, oh, thank you. If you give me a son, I'll give you my son right back to you. I'll give him right back. He'll serve you all the days of his life. So she does that. Samuel grows up and becomes a young man. And this is what it says in 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 1. Now the boy Samuel ministered to the Lord before Eli. And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no widespread revelation. Did you know that God spoke through the prophets? You know, we have a Bible, right? Anybody got a Bible in the room? We have a big old Bible. It's legit. And we have people like me and who get up on the stage and talk about Jesus all the time. Back then, they're literally saying there was no widespread revelation. People just didn't know about God. Didn't know what he was saying, right? Zero. First Samuel chapter four, verse one. Here's what it says. This is so delicious. Next verse. And the word of Samuel came to all of Israel. So from chapter three, verse one to chapter four, verse one, it went from nobody hearing the word of God to everybody hearing the word of God. You see that? Who did it, right? It says, and the word of Samuel came to all of Israel. But you know what I see when I read that? I see, and the word of Hannah who cried out to the Lord for a son and gave us Samuel, that word came to all of Israel. Because it wasn't just Samuel who gave the word. It was Hannah who prayed and cried out for the Lord. Please, I want a son. I want a son. And in her crying and in her pleading for a son, she brought revelation of God to an entire nation. Do you think she would have realized that? Do you think when she was praying for a son, she was also praying for the freedom of a nation? The revelation of God to thousands and maybe, oh, definitely more than thousands, millions of people? That's legacy. That's something bigger than yourself. And she didn't even realize it. Oh man, you guys are just so not into it like I am. We're going to keep going. We're going to keep going. King David. King David was a man who, After God's own heart. He loved to worship. You saw last time I was here preaching about worship and I was dancing and jumping, getting more undignified than this. That's that David. He's killed the giant. It's amazing. This is that David, right? His heart, it says in Psalms 135, his heart was to build a temple for the Lord, a resting place for God's presence. Burned within him. He fought off the Assyrians. He fought off the Philistines. He fought off everybody he needed to fight off to create space for God's presence. But here's the hard thing. David never got to build that temple for the Lord. His entire life of worshiping Jesus, instituting a 24-7 worship period. He literally did that. There's this church called IHOP, not Pancakes People, International House of Prayer. They literally have worship going 24-7, 365 days a year like constantly in honor of the temple that David uh, wanted to set up and the, the worship culture that he set up. But David never built that temple. King Solomon, his son did. So God gave David the father, the vision, and gave Solomon the fulfillment of actually building it. It wasn't just one and then the other. Think about this. He gave Moses the word. Hey, you're gonna get out of Egypt and go to the promised land. But he gave Joshua the ability to go in. Oh, we're, we're getting there slowly. It's okay. We're getting there slowly. I just hear a bunch of, hmm, 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 hmm. Bishop. Go ahead, big eyebrow boy. Bishop. Eyebrow bishop. I don't know. I'm going to slur something and it's going to sound bad. Um, in Proverbs, uh, one of my favorite books in the Bible, it's like a rainbow in there because of how many times I've highlighted that bad boy. Every single chapter in the book of Proverbs Solomon is speaking to the to the person reading it as if they're his son. He opens up, read verse three, uh, chapter three, verse one. My son, do not forget my law. Verse chapter two. My son, if you receive my word. Chapter uh, one. My son, hear my instruction. The entire book of Solomon is a father writing to his uh, his children, his sons and his daughters. It's about something more than himself. One of the most profound books on wisdom and revelation is brought to us by a father wanting to speak to his kids. I promise this is getting somewhere. I know some of you are like, this is stupid. We're getting there, guys. It's amazing. Uh, Solomon, at the end of his days, he was the richest man to ever live. He was the wisest man to ever live. He also had 600 wives, so he may have been the most, like, I don't know if that's game or if that's really bad. Like, he was just, you fill in the gaps, guys. He, He had a difficult, interesting life. At the end of his life, in Ecclesiastes, which sounds like a sneeze if you're not feeling well, Ecclesiastes, right? That's what it sounds like. You know, my favorite person in the room right now is Tiffany because she's laughing at every joke. She's making me feel like I'm a great preacher here. No, it's not. But she's just like, yeah, Ecclesiastes, Um, Ecclesiastes. Um, In Ecclesiastes chapter 12, he's literally talking about the end of his life. He's an old man. He's tried everything. He had a ton of money. He went to the store and bought all of Walmart. He went to Jeff Bezos and bought Amazon from him. He did everything you could think of. He, skydiving, he, if he could do it, he would have done it. He tried everything because he had the money, the resources, the time, the power, the authority. He did it all. And he gets to the end of his life, and if you read Ecclesiastes, it's a major bummer. He starts Ecclesiastes chapter one with like, life sucks. It's all vanity. Here, there. Over there means nothing, guys. And he gets to the end of Ecclesiastes chapter uh, 12, verse 13. Are you got it for me? Oh, Booth, they're shaking their head. Oh, boy, here we go. I'll just read it. Uh, It says this Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. The last two verses, he sums it up in a sentence or two Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is man's all. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil the caption to this sentence, this caption to this concluding thought in Ecclesiastes is written to the next generation. In verse nine, it says, hey, all of you young people, you young men and young women, pay attention, fear God and keep his commandments. Good old Solomon, at the end of his age, he could have been writing more books of the Bible. He could have been writing more theology books. He could have been writing about I don't know, structures, businesses, kingdom dynamics. But he was writing to the next generation saying, don't waste your life. Live for something more. We're getting there, Gary. We're getting there. Uh, Anybody have family that is maybe not close to you, but you have them, you know? Oh, some people are in different countries and different continents. Ezra, that broke my heart, seeing your hand up. So we have families, we have people in our lives that we're close to. And then there's some dynamics where we have split families. Maybe you've experienced, your parents have experienced divorce, or maybe your, your family moved away. My sisters and I are all moved out of the house, virtually moved out of the house. I'm almost there, guys. Um, but there's this dynamic in Malachi chapter uh, 4, verse 5 and 6. And it's God's talking about his heart for the world. Catch this. This is intense. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet. Not the actual Elijah. He's talking about Jesus. Before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Get ready for that. Behold, I will say. Okay, there we go. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. Keep that up there for me. Keep that up there. Good. Beautiful. This is how intense God is about this this family thing, okay? I don't know if you you knew this, but God really cares about family. I want to turn the hearts of fathers to children and children's to father. I want the family unit to be intact. And if that's not going to happen, strike the earth with a curse. He's not mincing his words when he says, I care about you having a good relationship with your dad. And I care about you caring and loving about your dad and your dad caring and loving about you. And I'm going to extend this to the fact that God cares about the family unit as a whole. Genesis talks about the, the, uh, the man will leave his, uh, his mother and father and go and find a wife and they will come together and they will multiply and have children. God cares about the entire family unit being put back together. Because it's not just about you. It's not just about me. It's about something a little bit bigger than myself. Now, in the Bible, in Matthew chapter 1, there's one of the scriptures that I think nobody in this room has ever read. And I'm going to prove it to you. Matthew chapter 1 is the genealogy of Jesus. If you've ever read your Bible before, it's literally a big, big old fat list of names. And for the sake of pure humor and no reason other, I will try to pronounce at least half of them. (laughs) The book of genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. That's why it's here. That's why it's here. Thank you. That's, that's why they pay you the big bucks. Water bottles for free. Um, Abraham, we got Isaac. Isaac, we got Jacob. Jacob, we got Judah and Judah and his brothers. Judah, we got Perez and Zerah and Tamar and Perez and Hezron and Hezron and Ram and Ram and Abibadab and Abimadab Nashon and Nashon, Salmon and Salmon, Boaz and Boaz, Rahab and Rahab, Obed and Ruth, Obed, Obed, Jesse, Jesse, David, David, King of Solomon. Solomon had Uriah. Solomon, we got Rehoboam, Reboham, Abiha Abiha Asa, Asa, Jehoshaphat, 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 Joram, Joram, Uzzah, Uzziah, Jotham, Jotham, begot got Asa Asa, Hezekiah, got got Manasseh, Manasseh, we got Ammon, Ammon, we got Josiah, Josiah, we got Checoniah <laughs> and his brothers, and they were the time, they carried away the Babylon and after that, they were brought to Babylon Checoniah, we got sh- oh, gotta watch my tongue there, and forget them Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel, we got Abidu, we uh, got Elakim and Elakim, we got Azor, Azor, we got Zadok, Zadok. we got Akim, Akim, we got Elud, Elud, we got Elazir, Elazir we got Methan we got Jacob And Jacob, we got Joseph, the husband of Mary, who was born, Jesus. So why does that even matter, right? I mean, the Old Testament ended and they opened the New Testament with a bunt. I mean, that was not a, if I was opening the New Testament, I'm talking about the power of the Holy Spirit or some awesome miracle. But they start the New Testament by listing the genealogy of Jesus, and I think it's interesting because, like, does anybody have anybody famous in their family? Like, any in the history? John John, no, John Adams. I, I was like, no <laughs> got me. You should have just went with it. I would have totally believed that. Anybody got somebody famous? What you got? Adam. Who? Adam. Like, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't we got a jokester in the room. <laughs> anybody famous, though? I mean, I was talking to somebody uh, who's related to George Washington. Yeah. Somebody I went to high school with. He he's related to George Washington. So that's pretty cool. What you got? You got something? Oh, she's hiding in the back. Thank you. What you got? Who are you to Queen Elizabeth? We're in the presence of royalty. Oh, hail the Queen. Pull out the teas and the crumpets. Kimberly go quickly, quickly. Wow. She's Scottish. It's good. It's a good joke. Dean Copley. Um it's her dad. <laughs> So that's cool, right? You have someone famous you're related to. That's, that's actually pretty cool. If a lot of people die, you could get the throne someday. I mean, that's pretty cool. <laughs> like a lot of people. It's horrible. Stop laughing, Tiffany. Um, why is it important to know the genealogy of Jesus? Well, when you're a believer, she's like, she's like can't laugh. When you're a believer in Jesus, it says you were born again. That means you were born once from your mother and you were born again of the Spirit of God. So your legacy and your genealogy is that of Jesus. So if you said in the room, if you don't have Queen Elizabeth, because that's dope, and you're like me and you have nobody interesting in your genealogy, look in the Bible and notice that you are related to some of the greats in the Bible because you were born of God. King David is your ancestor. Jehoshaphat, the guy who led a nation into battle with the worship team up front is your ancestor. You are related to great men and women of God, Ruth, Boaz. I'm not gonna list them out again. You are a part of a family line who served God faithfully. When you said, I believe in you, Jesus, you're my Lord and savior. You're entered into a new family. What's great about this? Hey, does anybody have bad family history that kind of sucks and they don't want to talk about? Maybe you have a, a history of your family dealing with anxiety. Yeah, everybody in my family. Or maybe you have a history of divorce. Maybe you have a history of this. i me tell you this. You have a history of God's family now. I don't know about you, but I want to be a part of God's family. The, the generational blessing, the generational favor The history, the rich history, the firm foundation I can stand on and say, this is who I am. I'm part of the family of God. Do we go there? Do I go there? Should I go there? Okay, I'll go there. My family. I'm an athlete. Yeah, I had to break the the curse of tripping in my family. No, it was dumb. So my family, my mom on her side, actually pretty interesting, uh, Every single person on my mom's side of my family has had a heart attack before 45. Some have died from it, some have not. My mom and my dad knew about this, and my parents prayed against it, and my mom has not had a heart attack. She broke that. For generations, we saw heart attacks in the 40s on my mom's side. No more. You know, when she told me that, I didn't even know that was an issue, right? Like, I didn't even know. It was just... And she told me about it and like, she's in her fifties now. And I didn't realize she was fighting a battle that I get to stand in victory for that I didn't even know what was going on. Okay. My grandma, Dorothy, maybe you see her on Sunday mornings, her and my grandpa, Papa Earl, he passed away. Amazing man. Um, But they were the only two of my grandpa's 13 brothers and sisters. He married my grandma, Dorothy. They're the only two decide to follow Jesus. The only two. And out of that came three kids, all of them serving the Lord, uh, Dina, Dan, and uh, Debbie. My dad, Dan Tillery, married my mom, Janie Tillery, and had three kids meet Megan, Mal, and Matt. And all three of us are serving the Lord healthily and faithfully. Because the decision of one person, and you know, it's funny, my Papa Earl, he's the youngest of 12. He's the one who's not supposed to make the leading decision in the family. He's the one that's like David, forgotten in the field. Because of his decision, because of my grandma's decision, because of my mom's decision and my dad's decision, I stand before you today on the generation of people who've come before me. Fight, they fought battles I didn't even know about. They, they won things in the spirit for me that I have no idea, but I get to walk in the freedom of it. I'm not anxious because my dad fought for it, who struggled with intense anxiety, I'm not worried about my heart health because my mom won that battle for me. When you recognize you're a part of a legacy that's attached to Jesus, you get to walk in a new bloodline, a new family line. Your past situation does not have to be your future. You can decide. You can choose. You can walk in such a way that changes the course of your generational line forever. It only takes one. Oh, man, that's so good. We're going to keep going. Let that sink in. Ephesians chapter three. How much time? Oh, we got seven minutes. All right, Lord. Ephesians chapter three. Uh, I'm sorry. Yeah, Ephesians chapter three, verse 10. To the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities powers in the heavenly places. Keep that up there. I had like a bunch of Pop-Tarts, so I'm really burpy. It's kind of gross. To the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God. Manifold means multicolored. Multi-flavored, different expressions. The manifold wisdom of God might be made known by God. By the word. No, by the church. Did you know you have a mission? To express the beautiful wisdom of God to the world. That's part of your mandate. That's part of your legacy And to think about that, that means that God has to give you that wisdom. So this verse is actually an invitation to walk in your legacy. To, and and, oh, this is so good. So good. I got to jump for it. Principalities, powers in the heavenly places. Did you know that's the powers of darkness? The demonic, devils, demons, evil, unclean spirits. You know, that's what that's talking about, right? So God's plan is to give you and I wisdom that's beautiful. And when we share it, the powers of darkness are like, we give up. Isn't that so crazy? And we think it's this complicated, crazy thing. God's just like, hey, I'm going to give you wisdom that makes the enemy terrified. And it's beautiful. And, and the, again, the word manifold, multicolored, multifragrance. So the way God's wisdom manifests in Olivia versus Caleb, versus Tiffany, versus me, versus Isaac, versus Jill. I mean, it's going to look different. It's going to be doctrinally sound in this right here, the Bible, but it's going to look so beautifully different. That's why the body is not like all toes. Imagine if you're a bunch of toes just walking around. That'd be hideous. I mean, God help us. If you're a bunch of ears, a bunch of eyeballs, that's like an angel, you know, read read, uh, Revelation. That would just be wrong. Different members to make one body. I'm going to say it again so maybe someone gets it here. Different members to make one body the body of Christ. You're beautiful. You're unique. You're called. You want to express the wisdom of God in all the earth. Uh, Colossians chapter 1 verse 27. Oh, Lord, did I get it? Oh, yeah. Oh, I can't cover it. It's too late. I was going to do a little exposure one, see if you guys knew it. To them God will to make known what are the riches of the glory of his mystery among the Gentiles which is Christ in you the hope of glory. If I were to take a poll and say what do you think the hope of glory is? The hope of the world? The hope of God's kingdom being advanced? the world being transformed, bodies being healed, lives being changed, families being brought together, just the the advancement of the kingdom of God, what would you say is the source of the hope of glory, what the hope of glory is? I think most of you say Jesus, God, the Holy Spirit. But no, it's not that, it's Jesus in you. God could have left you out of it, but he didn't leave you out of it because you're part of a legacy. You're part of something bigger than yourself. The hope of glory is Christ in you. You walk onto your campus. You go into your school. You do your sports club team. You work. In, you, you walk into your job. You are the hope of glory, Christ in you. Recognize that title, Christ in you, the hope of glory, comes with an empowerment. The hope of glory, get in there and do your best, kid. No, you're empowered. When God speaks, grace is released. Grace is not just that unearned blessing, favor, merit of God that we kind of like can phrase throw it at you. It's not that. What is that? But it's more than that. It's the operational power of God. God said, let there be light and light happened. Ezekiel spoke to dry bones and said, hey, come alive. And they came alive. How did that happen? Grace. Grace was released. And when grace is released, you could do something one second after you receive a grace that you couldn't do one second before having it. You want proof? I'll give you some proof. Hey, Jesus, if that's you, tell me to come out on the water. Jesus is like, come out. Peter's like, crap, why would I do that? Right? I mean, that'd be terrifying. He said, come out on the water. And the second after he said, come out of the water, the, the laws of physics were broken. And Peter stepped out onto the water. Ezekiel said, come alive. And things that were dead, I don't know about you, but dead things can't hear. <laughs> They're dead. And those bones started shaking, started rattling. We need to play rattle. That song's dope. Um, they started rattling and coming together and life formed. When God says, Christ in you, the hope of glory, there's grace release for you to be the change in the world because he's in you. That's too good. That's too good. That's too good. That's good. That's good, right? That's good. All right. All right. Timothy. Young Timothy, Paul is talking to our guy Timothy, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12, and he gives him this simple charge. Oh, they got it. Fight the good fight of faith. Maybe you've heard it. Lay hold on eternal life to which you were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I believe that should be it. Yeah, that's it. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life to which you are also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Something about legacy, something about fighting for something bigger than yourself. When you fight the good fight of faith, he tells them to do it in front of other people. I don't know about you, but watching somebody run their race well is so encouraging to me. Seeing Daniel be like a creative genius over there, like a little prophet over there in the nations. Daniel, that Daniel right there, that one just stirs me up, just gets me going. I'm, just, Yeah, seeing the development and the growth of Caleb Escalante leading worship has been phenomenal. I've got to sit right here for, how long, how long have you been doing it? Two years. Two years. Day by day, he's grown, gotten better, anointed. I mean, he just killed it at fall retreating. Beautiful job. It's just, it stirs my faith up. When you fight the good fight of faith, you're fighting in front of people because your fight is going to encourage people. Oh, man, I see that. Nick Finn's wrestling with that thing and he's, he's beating it. Maybe I can do it too. It's good. It's a good word. We're going to end right here on Hebrews 11. I promise. I think this is the worst, now hear me, error in the Bible. It's not error in regards to it being God's word. The Bible wasn't written with verses and chapters. It's just written in long, just paragraphs, we added verses and chapters and titles to each section for the sake of us understanding it. And I'm so thankful for that because it would be incredibly confusing. Imagine if there was no John 3.16. I mean, we just it's ingrained in us. I love it. But, but Hebrews 11.39 to Hebrews 12 is the worst page break in the history. So let's read it. Context, Hebrews 11, the hall of faith, all the great men and women of faith who conquered, who won, who fought battles, who just defeated Goliath. That's fantastic. He's talking about all these people in Hebrews 11. Go back, read it. It's the hall of faith, all the great men and women of God. And all of these, that's what he's talking about, have obtained a good testimony through faith, but did not receive the promise. Next verse. God, having provided something better for us that they, who's they? They is the people in the past, the men, the great men and women of the faith, David, Abraham, Isaac, Moses, all those people, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. Hebrews 12, one. Therefore, we also, therefore what? If you're reading just Hebrews 12 and you saw that therefore, please back it up and read the verses in front of it because there should be no reason Hebrews 11 and Hebrews 12 are split like that. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witness, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Keep going. Uh, Verse two. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. That's a mouthful. Back it up to uh, Hebrews 11 for me. We're going to just break this down real quick and then call it a night. Uh, Next verse, verse 40. All these people did not receive the promise. God having provided something better for us that they should not be made perfect apart from us. Has anybody, does anybody run track in the room? Track? Are track stars? Oh my gosh, heartbroken. Not a single track star in the room. Cross country doesn't count. Track? Where? Track. I'm looking track. Has anybody heard of the four by four relay? The 4x4 relay, that's where you run one lap and then you pass the baton to the next person, they run another lap, pass the baton to the next person, run a lap, 4x4. We got that. Or the 4x100, which is one of my favorite races. I'm too slow to run it. Um, That is one of the coolest examples to tie this in. Abraham lines up, bang, starts running, and he takes off and he has to run one lap around. And he runs the lap and he is, he's killing it. He's the father of the faith, father Abraham. We're not doing it. We're not doing it. And he runs up and he passes the baton to Moses. And Moses, man, he killed the guy. He was Pharaoh's adopted son a little rough path, before. Oh man, Moses came through and he wrote the law, the law of Moses, the law of God, the, the scripture that you see in Exodus and Leviticus. And he, he ran his course and he got them out of uh, Egypt. He got the Israelites out of Egypt and at the front door of the promised land, then he handed it off to, to the kings, David and, and Solomon and Jehoshaphat and all of these people. And he passed it off to them and they ran the race and it kept going. And then Jesus empowered us, to then take the last baton. Jesus came, died on the cross, empowered you, filled you with his spirit and said, run the race. But if we, somebody hands me the baton and I don't run, even though everyone who came before me ran, we don't win the race. We just don't. That's how he set it up. They should not be made perfect apart from you, taking the baton of faith and running your race. You're a part of something bigger than yourself. You're a part of the Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, Jesus lineage. The whole message concludes in this one simple thought. Well, maybe two, three simple thoughts. I want to charge you. I want to challenge you. I want you to go home, and if your parents are believers, this will be great, and I have something if they're not. Go home and ask your parents and your grandparents about how they came to know Jesus. I want you to look into, maybe in the booth, you can see it. It's my first point in the last three. I want you to investigate and study the legacy of your past. I told you a little bit about mine, my parents, my mom with uh, the heart, health and my dad with anxiety and my grandma, Dorothy, and my grandma, uh, my papa. I mean, we I told you a little bit, but there's a much richer history. I want you to study the legacy of your past. Now, if you're in here and you're like, first generation Christian, my parents don't love the Lord. That's completely okay. We're going to pray them into the kingdom for one. But then two, the next point on the screen for me, if you will, Booth, I want you to build the legacy of the future. This is juicy right here. This is really juicy. That's the whole message. That, that right there is, is, is the message. When you build something, like a, like a building, you start with the foundation, right? And then somebody comes over and lays the, the next level up, right? And because somebody laid this level, I'm now able to stand on it. And stand slightly taller than I would if I was here without it. That's your life to the degree that you're willing to build your life on Jesus, you set up the next generation to stand on your shoulders. I know this is crazy to talk about in youth because you're all like 12 to, to what, 18, 17, 18 years old and got our leaders in here. But I want you to take a hold of this now. David was a young shepherd boy. Just a small kid. They think he was like 13 when he was tending his field, worshiping the Lord, serving the Lord, fighting bears and lions and tigers. Oh my. Like this was David at 13. Jesus was in the temple at 12 saying, I must be about my father's business. It's not too early. There's no junior Holy Spirit to start building a foundation that your kids, kids, kids will stand on. I, uh, I'm going to end on the story and I'm going to call it. Okay, I promise. I'm turning into Brandon. I promise, guys, last point, 10 minutes later. Um, we're going to scrape that from the podcast. Um, uh, a friend of mine, uh, he, uh, I gave him a prophetic word. Um, God speaks to people still. I think you all know that, but I want to reaffirm that God still does speak to people. Um, I gave him this word, and I said, I felt like the Lord saying, you have a jar-getting spirit, referencing the story of the woman who brought jars to the prophet. And as many jars as she brought, the oil, the anointing oil was poured out. I said, I feel like you and your children, he didn't have kids at the time. He wasn't even married. You and your children, I'm sorry, he was married. You and your children are going to have this jargoning attitude, this, this desire to just bring vessels before the Lord so that God can fill them. Right. And I gave him that word and he was telling me that he had a lot of just, um, just marital problems, really struggling. There was a point in their relationship where they thought like, maybe it's not going to go very well. But he, he said he remembered that word, and it gave him great encouragement. So I went back and looked at it. Their marriage is fantastic. I went back and looked at it, and as I was looking at it, I, I had this uh, vision where the Lord speaks to you and gives you a mental picture. And it was of this, this kid standing on the stage. And this kid was preaching, and he says his name, and it's the same name as my friend. And the guy on the stage says, I was named after my great-great-grandfather. It was, it was a vision of this, my friend's great, great, great grandson preaching the word of God. And it was a sweet moment and I shared it with him and he was just brought to tears. But there's this sweet moment of fighting for something that you'll, you may never see. I hope I don't see my great, great grandchildren. I'd be so old and wrinkly, right? But I so want to set them up though. I want to set them up with spiritual blessing, with financial blessings, with, with the blessings of a stage to stand on and ground up beneath their feet. So that's my challenge to us tonight. We hope you've been inspired by this word. To help awaken your faith on a regular basis, subscribe now so you can be alerted when we have a new message. Thank you so much for listening.